everyone. It's great to be back. Uh, this is the Sarah Carter Show. And again, news never stops, does it? It never, ever stops. And so we've avoided talking about so many important things uh, that are happening around the world, so many important things that deal with our own national security. Um, and our troops overseas. And I think while we've been focused so much on Russia and the investigation by the FBI, now debunked uh, Russia Trump investigation, we've forgotten about what's been happening around the world with our troops, with our soldiers, with our intelligence agents who are over there doing the most difficult job. Our intelligence officers, um, as well as those people who are working for us. And we don't hear a lot about what's happening over there, but I can tell you from talking to my sources, you know, our troops are still dying. We have intelligence officers that are still uh, in in harm's way and in danger in places like Syria, Iraq, uh, far off places in Africa, and particularly in the longest war, U.S.-Afghanistan. I don't want to forget those men and women who are still over there, the thousands that are still over there, stationed over there, fighting, fighting an enemy that is intent on taking down the Western world. Believe me, they have not disappeared. This is a point of contention. I have actually with the Trump administration right now, I know it's gotten better. I know we've been able to grab the land back, especially in Syria and Iraq. We've taken back the territory from Islamic State. I hate it when people use ISIS because they are no longer ISIS. They have been calling themselves Islamic State for years now. So we know that they're there. We know that their territory is there. And by the way, an inspector general's report from the Department of Defense now is saying that they're regaining strength in the Middle East, that they're reconstituting in places in Syria, in places in Iraq. They've actually seen this and they've been documenting this. And this is really quite frightening because, folks, while we sleep, they don't. They continue to build. They continue to build up their coffers. They continue to get brown-bagged money from supporters all across the Middle East, particularly, believe it or not, even though they're Sunni, they get money from Iran. Iranians from the Qataris, from uh, the Persian Gulf states, from people in Saudi Arabia, from people in Yemen, from maybe supporters in Europe. And we've seen this. And the reason why I'm talking about this today is because the big debate right now, while everybody's focused on the Trump-Russia investigation, while everybody's focused on the 2020 general elect, you know, the uh, presidential elections coming up and, uh, of course, the Democratic debates. And, by the way, it was so funny. I, I love Joe Biden. He makes me laugh every day. I don't know why anybody gets upset. He's hilarious, the things he says. And you know what? I'm not going to call him Creepy Joe because... I don't know if he's like leaning into women to hug them because he's so tall. It just looks like he's sniffing their hair. He might not be. He might not be. It might just, it might just be the way a picture looks. Haven't you ever taken a picture and it makes you look creepy? All right. So I'm going to stay ba- away from the creepy, right? Um, and he hasn't had a lot of people at his rallies, about maybe 100 here, 100 there. But he's very proud of what he's doing. He's out there and he's on the campaign trail and he's just trying to catch up to Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so while we've been dealing with that, And while we've been dealing with the fake news uh, media, as uh, President Trump likes to say, and and that race, uh, we have been forgetting about these stories. And Afghanistan is now a central point 
for the Trump administration. We hear that there are negotiations now ongoing with the Taliban. Let me tell you a little bit about my work. A lot of you don't know. I have spent my career covering the war. After I got to Washington, D.C., about 2007, um, I became the war correspondent at the Washington Times. I immediately, that's the only job I wanted. I wanted to cover the Pentagon. I wanted to cover our troops overseas. I particularly wanted to cover Al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations that were operating throughout the world, mainly because of what happened September 11th. Um, at 2001, and because I grew up in Saudi Arabia, I spent a good portion of my childhood, eight years of my life, my most formidable years growing up in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And so when I did get that opportunity, the first thing I wanted to do was go overseas and really cover our troops, bring their stories home. And I also wanted to understand what was happening. So my very first trip into the war zone was to Afghanistan. And I remember, you know, flying in into Afghanistan. I was on a C-130 with, uh, with a bunch of troops. They let me go up into the front, uh, into the pilots. I was right there with the pilot flying over the Hindu Kush. And we were coming in to Afghanistan, into Kabul. And I looked over the Hindu Kush, that was snow-capped mountains. It was extraordinary. It was at sunset. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And then the closer I looked the more deadly those mountains looked, just like jagged edges in this beautiful scenic view in a land that was so far away, where our troops were so far from home. It was so remote and so unknown. And we're landing, you know, in Kabul. I remember we landed at Bagram Airfield. And I thought to myself, whoa, this is, this is what I, this is something I never thought I would experience. But it was only the beginning. We got out of the plane. I ended up embedding with troops on the front lines of the battlefield. I, I covered every part of Afghanistan. I was from eastern Afghanistan on the border of Pakistan to Maywand, uh, to Zabul province. I traveled there every single year up until 2014, 2015. Um, my husband was wounded in 2011 on Easter Sunday. April in Afghanistan, he was fighting terrorists in the Eastern Front and was um, in armed combat when uh, one of those terrorists threw a grenade over his head and almost took his life. Uh, he was he was blinded completely. He had um, three craniotomies. He is an amazing survivor. He lost his right eye completely. His left eye, the optical nerve was clipped, so he lost he has no 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 light perception whatsoever. He does have a great dog named Kenny. By the way, Kenny has terrible gas, and I just have to say that publicly because I don't want to get too I don't want to get too sad here. I don't want you guys to be crying because there's no reason to cry. He is a hero. He is amazing, and now we have Kenny, and Kenny has gas. Let's just go back to Afghanistan. Sorry about that, babe. I just had to throw it out there. We have to live with it. <laughs> Anyways, going back to Afghanistan and why this is so important. You know, I saw so many troops out on the front lines, young men, 18, 19, 20 years old, giving everything, giving everything they got to fight for our country. And it was tough. It was not just all about heroics. It was about tough nights, nights where I saw some of them cry, 
nights where I saw some of them just wish they could go back home. I remember when they had stopgap where guys were getting rotated in and out of Afghanistan over and over again, where they just didn't have enough time at home with their families. It's tough. It is one of the hardest things I ever saw. And I mean, throughout the years, I saw people die. We, you know, they came back in body bags. And we ask ourselves, why were we there? I mean, this is the longest war. Why couldn't we defeat? I mean, I guess in history, Afghanistan's almost been impossible. It's where, you know, where they say where empires go to die. Because it literally looks like you're going back in time. Let me go back to that flight into Bagram. When I finally left and went out into the field in Afghanistan, not only was I embedded with our troops, uh, I spent months traveling with Afghan sources throughout the country without bodyguards, with, you know, with my Afghan sources, learning about the country, learning about the tribes, traveling through the north. Uh, up into Panjshir Valley, which, by the way, was like Shangri-La in some ways, uh, guarded by these amazing um, Panjshiri uh, fighters. Uh, they were the ones, mostly the Mujahideen, who had taken out the Soviets before we even got there. And we assisted. Uh, went up to Mazar, Mazar Sharif, uh, which was absolutely beautiful, saw the Blue Mosque, met with the Hazar tribes. It was just, it was like going back in time, guys. It was like, if I could describe anything to anyone it would be like seeing the time of christ you just plop in there and they stare at you like you're an alien from space <laughs> like they don't even know what are you doing in my village woman <laughs> with strange pants and this helmet on your head i really did feel like an alien it was really but then you know once they got to know me they realized okay she's fine she's cool let's have some fish with her let's talk you know and have some chai tea i really got to understand the region I also understand the dangers of the region and how terrifying it was, not only for our soldiers, but for our security here at home. Right now, the Trump administration is negotiating with the Taliban to pull out of Afghanistan. Let me tell you what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Islamic State and Al-Qaeda are building up. I have been in communication with sources in those regions. This is not just from me reading reports, but I've been in constant communication with sources in Pakistan and in Afghanistan, and they are terrified about what's happening there. ISIS is building up there. Islamic State. Sorry, I did the I did the boo-boo. I called it ISIS. Um, Islamic State is building up there. The Taliban is working with these groups. The Haqqanis in Pakistan. They're fighting sometimes amongst each other. But believe me, in the end, all they want is to push the U.S. out. They want to create a caliphate there. And the Taliban wants to create an Islamic nation. And I know you say to me, well, why are we there? Who cares? Let them just kill each other. Let them fight each other. A lot of people sacrificed a lot to ensure that those groups, groups, terrorist organizations, such as Al-Qaeda, such as Islamic State, don't build up enough, don't reconstitute enough that they end up back here in the United States targeting us or targeting Western assets overseas. And that's exactly what is going to happen if we withdraw completely. I'm not saying we need large battalions on the ground. I want to play something for you. I think this commander is amazing. His name is uh, Scotty Miller. Uh, he was almost targeted in Afghanistan uh, last year in Kandahar, and he's now the commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan. I want you to hear what he had to say to ABC News. 
Hard to believe right after 9-11 uh, you were here within just a couple of months. Did you ever think you'd be back here as commander? A absolutely not. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I believe that 17 years, almost going on 18 years, that we'd still be in Afghanistan uh, in the footprint. And I certainly didn't see myself as the commander of Afghanistan. I hear that all the time. What Miller's saying is what I've been hearing from all the men that serve and that have gone over there to serve. It's so hard to believe that we're still there. But guess what? They weren't allowed to do their jobs. A lot of times what happened was they would rotate a new commander in every six months into Afghanistan, and they didn't even know what the mission was. It was it, They couldn't even establish a mission because every time a new commander came in or a new group came in, everybody had a new idea of what to do, whether it was coin, whether it was building militias to fight the Taliban, whether it was listening to Pakistan and not actually targeting al-Qaeda once they crossed the border into Pakistan. I remember that. And this is not just about Obama. This was about President Bush. This was about everyone. And now we got and now President Trump owns this, right? We said President Obama owns it. Now President Trump owns it. He owns this. He owns this. And he needs to ensure that whatever we do doesn't allow Al Qaeda to rebuild itself in that region to target the United States. We have to keep either special forces or our CIA, our, our intelligence apparatus there so that we can monitor what's going on and we can strike them when they start to rebuild. And if we don't, if we walk away, I can guarantee you that in 10 years or within a decade, we will be targeted again by these groups. They don't sleep, guys. They have a different sense of time. We want everything fast. We're America. We're the West. We want to go to McDonald's. We want to get in and out. We, you know, we wait five minutes. We're like having heart failure. These are people that think very differently than us. It's a very different culture. They will wait and wait and wait for the right time. And just as soon as we think we're on safe ground, nothing's going to happen, they will strike. I saw it over and over again over there. And we were so misguided if we don't think that. And we need to listen to them, too, because we didn't listen to the tribes. We didn't listen to the former Mujahideen who told us how we could win, how we could defeat the Taliban. In fact, we, they, there were so many people sitting on the fence, so many Afghans that wanted to support us. But they knew over and over again. They kept hearing the same thing. We're leaving. The U.S. is leaving and they were thinking, you know what, I'm not going to jump on the side of the U.S. All, all of my friends who were working as interpreters or working on, you know, the bases in Afghanistan were being killed by the Taliban just for being connected to American forces. And all of a sudden they got scared and they started to walk away and they just started to move over. They thought, well, maybe the winning team is the Taliban. We can't let this happen. We cannot let this happen. The Taliban lies. They do not negotiate. They do not negotiate the way we think they do. This is, it's complete fallacy. We will be tricked by them. What we have to do is demand that all of the sacrifice that we put into that country is not for nothing. And we have to really think clearly about what we're doing. And negotiating with the Taliban and negotiating with terrorists is not the way to do it. This is not like a negotiation like we did in World War II with Japan. This is about a group that is intent on destroying the Western world and the Western way of life. And today, I'm so excited to have Daniel Hoffman here to discuss with you uh, what it's like, 
why this region of the world is still so important to us and why we need to pay attention to what's happening there. Daniel Hoffman was with the CIA. He was a station chief in South Asia. He spent most of his life covering various parts of the world, especially in crisis situations and in the war zone. I don't think there's anybody better to talk about this. And I hope you listen because what he has to say is so important. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for being on with me today. I'm so excited to have with me today Daniel Hoffman. Daniel Hoffman's not only a friend, we traveled to Singapore together. Uh, we're covering, when we were covering the summit with North Korea, he has amazing insight. He, we also traveled to Finland together, and it's amazing h- how he is so adept at languages. You guys would be incredibly uh, stunned. He's seen very often on uh, Fox News. He's a Fox News contributor. Daniel Hoffman was also uh, serving as a station chief in South Asia for the CIA. He has traveled the entire region, and there's nobody better than him to discuss what's happening now. Daniel, can you hear me? I sure can. Thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. Oh, it's an honor to be with you and and for our listeners to hear what you have to say, Daniel, because I don't think there's anybody better than you right now to discuss this topic, uh, particularly with all of the new developments in Afghanistan with our troops. I I know you just heard the clip from a Scotty Miller where he was discussing how he never imagined that 17 years later, he would still be in Afghanistan uh, dealing with these issues. He's the new, uh, obviously, the new commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan, and he talks about those challenges. And now we've seen a rise of Islamic State in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We're also seeing a reconstitution of al-Qaeda in the region. And the U.S. really has no control over populated areas. Can you talk to me a little bit about your experience in that region and what you're seeing right now? Yeah, I can, for sure. It's a wickedly difficult challenge for us. And, of course, uh, you know, General Miller is absolutely right. I, I served with him in the Middle East. Uh, we're fortunate to have him out there again for another war zone assignment, leading our, our troops and our mission. Uh, of course, you know, ISIS uh, really established itself in Afghanistan way back in 2014. Um, it's a petri dish out there, growing threats to us in the region and beyond. ISIS is fighting elements of the Taliban, their arrival of al-Qaeda, and yet they're all targeting us. And that's, that's certainly one of the things that makes sense for us um, as we look ahead towards possibly removing a lot of our troops from Afghanistan, as the president would like to do. I think the American public would share the president's wishes on that. Absolutely. I think, I think that... I think that you're right, Daniel, to a certain extent, people are exhausted. They say, when is this going to end? I know Senator Lindsey Graham has talked about this publicly, saying, you know, we have to have some resources in that region. We can't just pull out all together. And I tend to agree with Senator Graham on this. I'm not talking about big, heavy forces, but at least having training out there, uh, leaving some of our intelligence apparatus out there, also training the indigenous forces to fight some of these uh, groups in the region, and also having some of our own special forces out there. What do you think about that? No, I think that's right. And General David Petraeus, my old boss at CIA, with whom I served in the Middle East uh, for almost a year, um, he he just penned an op-ed which argued exactly the point that you're raising, which is if we pull out precipitously, then we're looking at the potential of having to go back in after we've been hit with a with a with a strike from from those uh, terrorists inside um, inside Afghanistan. Um, it, and one of the things we learned from 9-11 is when you allow them to have ungoverned space, they are going to plot and to plan against us. 
so I do believe we need some some capability there. The way to stop terrorist attacks is with human intelligence and some military capability. It can be our own. It can be indigenous forces we have trained and trust to carry out that mission. But that, too, is a bit of a risky endeavor. We don't want to outsource too much of our security to foreign uh, forces, even if they're ones we've trained and, and trust as much as we possibly could. Well, we've seen that in the past, especially with green on blue attacks in Afghanistan, where we've seen soldiers that we've trained uh, turn on our own forces. And that could be that could be in- incredibly distressing, especially when you work so hard. Uh, it's It was more frequent in Afghanistan at certain points in time. Uh, do you think that maybe having, a, is, is, are you talking about having forces actually deployed to the region in smaller numbers? Or do you think that our special ops can actually handle this and be able to sustain, um, maybe retain some of the land that we've lost? I mean, would it require fighting and regaining those uh, those parts of Afghanistan that we've already lost to the Taliban or al-Qaeda? How would, th- how would this work? Yeah, so it's a real patchwork there. And what we're looking for, of course, look, the Taliban is not a monolith. The deputy head of the Taliban is Siraj Haqqani. And as we all know, the Haqqani network has allowed al-Qaeda to homestead on their territory, and they've been the ones conducting the most vicious, the most lethal uh, suicide attacks on us and our coalition partners and the Afghan people and the Afghan government over the past decade or so. And so what we're looking for is, is partnering with reconcilables, and some of those might even be elements of, of the Taliban. Uh, and then we've got to deal with the irreconcilables, and those could be Taliban. They obviously are ISIS and al-Qaeda. I think as far as how we manage it, um, the president and his team is looking for the sweet spot, the minimal number of, of special forces troops, the minimal number of our intelligence community and diplomatic professionals out there uh, serving in harm's way in order to ensure that we do everything we can to prevent an attack on our soil from Afghanistan. The, look, it's a failed state, and, and there's massive problems in that region. Um, and it's not going to change anytime soon. But until it does, I think we need, as Senator Graham has eloquently said, we need to have some capability uh, so that we preempt those threats and prevent them from visiting us on our shores. Agreed wholeheartedly with you, Dan, on that. Um, do you think that it's possible that we can even trust um, our partners in the Persian Gulf or, or those like in the in the nation of Qatar that are trying to help uh, negotiate these deals with the Taliban? I mean, specifically, if we're dealing with Siraj Hadin Haqqani, I mean, he is the commander of those forces with the Taliban. Uh, we know that he has initiated a number of attacks on U.S. forces and on innocent civilians, both in Pakistan and in Afghanistan. And he doesn't want to negotiate unless all U.S. troops are pulled from the region. I mean, he's made that perfectly clear. Are we going to be able to find a middle ground? I mean, if we can't get rid of people like Siraj Haidinakani and, 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 me- and members of his family, I mean, will, is it realistic to think that the Taliban's going to have some kind of middle ground with us? No, I, I, look, I think those that Siraj and, and his Haqqani group followers are part of the irreconcilable uh, ongoing threat to our people in the region and here and beyond. Now, the question, does the Haqqani Network actually have an interest in striking our homeland? There's no evidence of that. But they have allowed al-Qaeda to homestead and provided al-Qaeda with safe haven. And al-Qaeda, and remember Zawahiri, the leader of al-Qaeda, is still at large in in, in the region, in South Asia. Uh, And so 
Haqqani is a Haqqani network is a real force multiplier for our enemy Al Qaeda, and that really is the concern there. I think so. I think there will be some ongoing fighting. It's not going to stop all of a sudden. This isn't like the end of World War II when the Nazis, you know, waved the white flag or killed themselves and we were all done. This fight's going to go on. We're going to have to continue to uh, train our Afghan partners, continue to rely on our coalition partners to ensure that uh, that we continue the fight against elements of the Taliban who are, who are targeting us, and obviously ISIS and, and, and al-Qaeda. That's just the the challenge we face, you know, and, and I don't think there's anyone in our country who would, who's pleased about our people being out there in harm's way. But I can tell you from having been there myself, having spent three years in war zones, been all over Afghanistan and Iraq and Pakistan, our, our, our military, our intelligence community, our diplomats, they're proud to be there and they're proud to serve their nation. Um, and they're even willing to risk their lives to do so. Uh, because they know if they weren't doing that, then their own families, um, not to mention their their fellow citizens, would be at risk. That I couldn't have said that better myself, Dan. That's that's totally a, an incredible. I mean, this is what we're dealing with every day. This is the kind of the kind of war that we're fighting that Americans don't see because we're shopping, because we're living our lives, because we're raising our children, um, and because we live in such a great country. But people like Daniel Hoffman and others who have spent time in the war zone, who have sacrificed so much of their time with their own family in order to go overseas and protect our nation from terrorists. And I, I just want to ask you a couple more questions, Dan, because I think it's so important. I don't think people realize you know, especially with Ayman al-Zawahiri, you know, he's still there. He's We still believe him to be in Pakistan. He is the leader of al-Qaeda. And with Islamic State, we've seen them rebuilding in Syria, the, the DOD IG report that came out that discussed this. And we're seeing them rebuild now. What do we need to be doing different? And uh, what would your advice be to the Trump administration on this? Well, yeah, so... That's all true. We, we crushed the caliphate. We destroyed it. And that's important because when ISIS owned geographic space, it was a real magnet for Islamic extremists, jihadists, to, um, to travel there and to fight and to be trained and then to return to places in North Africa and Europe and target innocent civilians. And so it was important that we ended that. But at the same time, the roots of ISIS are in al-Qaeda in Iraq, and they're very comfortable going back to an insurgency, which is what they're going to be fighting now. They're very adept at conducting assassinations, at blowing up economic targets, um, and, and targeting innocent civilians in the economies of Syria and Iraq, in particular, not to mention beyond in Europe and South Asia. So what we need to continue to do is, is conduct intelligence operations, sometimes in cyberspace, so that we determine where they are, where they're planning to conduct attacks. We analyze that information quickly and make executive decisions about how to end the threat, sometimes with kinetic strikes, whether we take them or our allies take them. That's kind of how it goes. Now, that doesn't get to the root of terrorism, but it's necessary to ensure that we aren't um, hit, whether it's out in those places in those regions or here back at home. We can try to get to the root of terrorism, dealing with the fact that there's um, no health care, no education, uh, no opportunities for young people who are taught uh, extremist ideology, especially in the Fatah and in Pakistan, Afghanistan region. Those are all long-term things we need to deal with. Um, and, if we and if we don't, and if we don't, Daniel, we're we're in the long war that's just not going to end. And and the the 
as we used to say at CIA, uh, acting director Michael Mahel used to say, those are a lot of dark clouds, uh, or you know, that we have to be looking out at. But the the silver lining is that uh, there's some job security out there for everybody engaged in in our security, whether it's in the military or intelligence community or our diplomatic corps. Uh, this problem's not going away, and we need experts, people who speak the languages, people who understand counterinsurgency and counterterrorism operations. I couldn't uh, thank you more for being on with us today, Daniel. I, I know I, I took you away from your time with your family. Go out. I'll see you tonight on Fox News, probably everybody. This is Daniel Hoffman. You can see him on Fox. He's a contributor. He's amazing. And he spent a lot of time in the region, and he knows what he's talking about. we got to listen to what he's saying. And the Trump administration, I hope they're listening to this podcast now. I wish I would have known Dan when I was traveling throughout South Asia in those mountains in the Hindu Kush or visiting with villagers in remote locations and staying with our our soldiers out there on the front lines. But of course, Dan was in the CIA, so he wasn't supposed to be talking to reporters. But now that he's out, now that he's been outed, outed on Fox News, um, we he and I are great friends and uh, such a wonderful human being, has so much to share with the world and so many uh, so much knowledge. Uh, it's so important that we listen to him, that we listen to everybody, that we pay attention, pay attention, people, to what's happening over there. I know there's so much news happening here, but we have soldiers and troops on the front lines there still fighting and intelligence officers still fighting this battle against al-Qaeda and against Islamic State. Remember, they are out there and they want to destroy our way of life, and we are never going to let them do that. But I don't like to end the show on all these kind of very serious notes, because there is some funny news out there. I mean, it's kind of weird. I'm sure it's not funny to the person that it happened to. And let me get right to the point. It's Don Lemon. Don Lemon is making news and not in the good way. Apparently, Don Lemon was having a party or at a bar partying, maybe drinking. We don't know yet. We're going to hear all the details as it goes to court. Um, And apparently somebody was trying to talk to him, maybe pick up on him. And Don Lemon was not having it. And they got in a tryst. And Don Lemon put his hands down his pants, scratched everything, apparently, and then shoved it in the guy's face. Disgusting. I know you guys probably want to throw up right now. Um, I do. I do. But I know it's it's just it's just weird and funny. And I got to talk about it because Don Lemon is the one that's always out there. Donald Trump is horrible to the people. He's terrible to women. He's a womanizer. He's a manonizer. Don Lemon's a manonizer. And I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I think that there is a case here and we are going to follow it closely. And by the way, there was a witness I think he thought he was going to get away with this, but there is a witness, and they are coming forward, and the Federalist wrote about it. So I'm not just spreading rumor or gossip. This is a very serious subject. Somebody was accosted, not Acosta, but accosted by Don Lemon. Don Lemon. Isn't that weird? Acosta, accosted. 
you know, there's starting to be a pattern here, folks. Anyways, I think you should follow up on that story for fun so you don't spend your day so serious. I am. I will be following up on it and bringing it back to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be with you. And we are going to continue to investigate the investigators. We're going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about everything because we are taking back the story. And you can find it at my website at sarahacarter.com. That's sarahacarter.com. Thank you so much for being here today, for listening. We will be back next week with so much more. So much more, folks. Talk to you then. 